Welcome to the free sermon podcast of the Potter's House Church in Virginia Beach, affiliated with Christian Fellowship Ministries. Our vision is winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. It's Monday, and we are posting an instant classic for your inspiration. This message may come from anywhere around the globe, but is sure to stay with you for years to come. Make sure to subscribe from wherever you're listening to continue hearing life-changing messages. If you like what you hear, please support World Evangelism by subscribing to the premium version of this podcast for even more sermons. Links are in the show notes. Enjoy today's sermon. Hallelujah. I think I'm on. Can you yes, amen? It's a real privilege to be here. I'm a little confused. I'm a lost Mexican on the Indian Reservation, (laughs) preaching Native American Day on Cinco de Mayo. Hallelujah. I like it. I appreciated that music. You know you've lost your culture when you know more Navajo than you do Spanish. Hallelujah. It's a real honor to be here. I've counted a great privilege. I want you to turn with me into the Bible, into the Word of God, into Jeremiah chapter 1, beginning in verse 4 through 10. A sermon I've entitled, I want you to listen to me carefully because it's critical that we lay hold of this thought. It's men for the nation, great men are born. I have read hundreds of books on men are not born, they are made. Jeremiah shed some light on a very interesting bit of revelation. Before we dive into our text, I want to talk to you about three men very briefly. I began to be very interested in very smart people. Albert Einstein goes down as one of the smartest men who ever lived. He is the, he is the founder of the quantum Uh, equation. He is known for the theory of relativity. He was a German theological uh, physicist. This guy has so many brains. I know he didn't graduate from Chinle. (laughs) But at the end of his life, listen to me, with all the academic knowledge and all the understanding of society, He makes this statement that needs to speak to us tonight. Only a life lived for others is worth living. Edmund Burke, born January 12, 1729. He was an Irish statesman who after moving to England served many years in the House of Commons of Great Britain. He is mainly remembered for his support for the cause of American revolutionaries. But tonight we know him of another famous quote that must embrace us tonight. His quote is, All that is necessary for the triumph of evil is that good men do nothing. The last one is a man by the name of Jesse Clyde Nichols. Born August 23rd, 1880. Here's a man who goes down in history for his passion and his love for his city. What a quality. What an amazing epitaph this man bears upon his name. He designed the greatest 
organized adjoining city in America known as the City of Fountains, Kansas City, Missouri. I was there not long ago, and in the middle of the city is a plaque. He's called a dreamer. That plaque says Mr. Nichols is one of those rare individuals, a dreamer with a capacity for making his dreams come true. He dreamed moreover in terms of greatness, practical benefit to his city. Few men have so viciously and profoundly influenced the development of any American community. These three men bear qualities that we must have. There is no life that is worth living save it be spent on others. There's a necessity for men to rise up. Men to see the greater picture. And men who will lay down their lives for a city. I want to read this interesting passage of scripture that I must say has tormented me for years. Bible says, then the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Then said I, ah, Lord, behold, I cannot speak for I am a youth. But the Lord said to me, do not say I am a youth. For you shall go to all to whom I send you, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to, to deliver you, says the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have this day sent you over the nations and over the kingdoms, to root out, to pull down, to destroy, to throw down, to build, and to plant. The context of this passage of Scripture, make no mistake, is God's selection for a man for the nations. This can be none other than the holy calling of God. There's a holy calling that we must consider firstly. As we challenge men to rise to the challenge of world evangelism. As we challenge men and women to plant their lives in the cities of the world. It is absolutely critical what we are looking for. We are looking for men who can impact these nations. Men who understand that this is a holy calling. In this passage of scripture, it is very clearly pointing out a calling that God has designed before the foundation of the earth. There are men and women sitting here within the sound of my voice, make no mistake about it, who God has called to set over the nations of the world. Before you were even born, God has called you and He knew you. Before you entered your mother's womb, over the, the title of your life tonight as we listen to the Word of God are the nations of the world. And it is absolutely critical that in this building tonight we can recognize that holy calling in our everyday affairs. 
It has now been years that I've been in Chinle, Arizona. And I gotta admit, as Jeremiah spoke so wonderfully on the human side of this calling, I've said that same, same statement. Ah, Lord! Chinle! Ah, Lord! So it's happening here. The passage of Scripture that is before us lies the intensity of holy calling. It's, it takes absolute understanding, and it's taken me many years, but I can clearly recognize that I'm the man for Chinle, Arizona, under the call of the living God. And I want to speak to you about that because it has great relevance. When I begin to understand that, God began to greatly help me and cause me to be extremely fruitful when I recognized these are holy callings that God places upon a man. This calling, beloved, that is found in Jeremiah's life exceeds human ability. This was his long before he was discipled. This was his by the ordination of God Almighty. This, beloved, exceeds man's creativity. It is a call of God, a holy calling of men for the nations of the world. Jeremiah is encountering the reality of what we all must embrace tonight. He's recognizing that for this very reason he was called. For this very reason he was brought to planet earth. This brings a new spin on calling. Chosen by God. There are men and women in this place tonight with this level of calling upon their life. And it is my prayer tonight that I can point to some of the, the, the evidence of that calling that would cause us to recognize that for such an hour as this, we've been called to the nations of the world. Think with me for just a moment. Great men are born. I formed thee before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. Before thou camest forth out of your mother's womb, this calling was already alive. It was already, it was already in place. I have sanctified you and I have ordained thee. And the calling upon your life is to be a prophet unto the nations of the earth. What a profound thought. As we sit here tonight, there's people here whom God has called for the nations. Born for that very reason. Called for that very purpose. Jeremiah's encountering this profound stirring. It is interesting to note that the word Jeremiah happens to mean, that, mean Jehovah casts out 
or Jehovah hurls, or Jehovah appoints, destined to the prophetic office before he was even formed in his mother's womb. The plan of God formed him in him, not by the will of man, not by human desire or passion, but by the will of the living God. Jeremiah was appointed to be the envoy to the people of God, set apart for this very use, laid hold of by God before the foundation of His birth, dedicated for this very cause. I declare to you tonight that if we as men can recognize this level of calling, if you and I can lay hold of this powerful picture that is being laid before us in the life of Jeremiah, to think that we have been fashioned and formed, set aside for this purpose, I promise you it would make it a whole lot easier, can you say man, to respond to that call. As I look back at my little bean farm, we are no longer a one traffic light town, we have another traffic light. Phoenix better watch out. We're headed your way. Two lights. Two traffic lights. I ran the second one just out of good measure. I'm going to be the first one to run it. Hallelujah. <laughs> what is happening in Jeremiah's life is extremely profound. It takes us out of the arena of insecurities. It takes us out of the arena of question. Jeremiah is being confronted with a holy calling. Jeremiah, I have called you for this. I have equipped you. I have ordained you. I have committed your life to... I have delivered you up for this very call. This level of calling is not hidden in the Word of God. When you and I can lay hold to this claim and recognize the intensity of the holy calling... In the book of Galatians chapter 1 verse 15 and 16, it says, But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through His grace to reveal His Son in me that I might preach Him amongst all the Gentiles. In the book of Romans chapter 1 verses 1 and 2, Paul says, A bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of, the gospel of God. This holy calling, this ordination and sanctification seen in the life of Paul. It was in the book of John chapter 18 verse 37 that Jesus Christ himself begins to realize and understand that for this very reason he exists. He was born and created for this particular holy calling. It is here that he says, for this cause I was born. And for this cause I have come into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. This holy calling seen in the man called Jesus Christ. In John 15 and 16, it lays hold of a man's heart again. 
It lays hold of the revelation of Jeremiah. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, and I have ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain in this place this evening. There are men and there are women, there are cop couples that are formed by the hand of God, and the word of the Lord is coming to you tonight, and he is reminding us that for this very cause, for this very purpose, for this very reason we exist, before I formed you, I knew you, before you came out of your mother's womb, I had a plan and a purpose for your life, and the word of the Lord comes to us tonight to quicken us to this holy calling. I want to speak to you secondly about the human response that's found in our text. There are inadequacies, inadequacies and fears that Jeremiah is immediately being faced with. Inadequacies and fears, beloved, have been the greatest threat to evangelism beyond our borders. It's been the greatest threat to the extending of the kingdom of God. We find this to be true in the life of Jeremiah in verse 6 of our text. He responds very humanly. And it is critical that we understand this because we will see ourselves in the life of, of Jeremiah this evening. The Bible says in verse 6 of our text, Ah, oh, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak for I am but a youth. The human response to those who bear the holy calling always comes to them in a sense of deep inadequacies and personal inability. I can still remember the day I responded to go to Chinle, Arizona. I really knew I was Hispanic then. I went and I said, oh Lord, I can't go here. I am a Hispanic. I am a Chicano. I am a Mexican. I am a Spaniard. Hello, send an Indian over there. Makes sense to me. Inadequacies captured my heart. I saw every single weakness in my own life. See, these are real. I'd go, but look, I'm inadequate. I'd go, but I'm not very smart. I'd go, but you know what? I'm a child. He was 20 right here, by the way. Most 20 years I know, 20 years old men I know, think they know everything. I think he's cheating us here. Oh, no, I can't. I can't, Lord. Oh, Lord, I can't. Because of the reality of inability. I hate to say this, but when I moved to Chinle, Arizona, I hardly knew how to read. I didn't want to go. I used to tell my wife, ah, I can't do this. Beloved, it's a holy calling. It exceeds fears and inadequacies and inability. And I was asked to go to Chinle, Arizona. Oh, man, I, th I thought it was going to be a quick pick. 
I can remember when Pastor Mitchell got a hold of me and says, hey man, uh, some Navajo ladies have come and they want a church. They were here last conference and, and they want you to go. I said, no, Pastor Mitchell, they said Artie Aragon. No, no, they said that little Mexican that walks on here smiling everywhere. Don't smile in this fellowship. You're moving to the res. I said, there's other people that smile. Ain't nobody smiles like you. You're always happy. I don't know if you're lying or if it's true, but they asked for you. I thought, this will be easy. I'll go tell my wife. She's a real Mexican. She'll bark at me, a little chihuahua, and she'll say, I ain't going to them for whatever. I'm never going there. But what was at work, beloved, was a holy calling upon us by the hand of the living God. I told them what is going to Chinle, and I started laughing, and she wasn't laughing. Well, what are you going to do? Well, I'm going to say no. What do you think I'm going to do? I'm looking at her. I said, you look just like her. Where's that little mean girl that, you know, would say no, no, and no stars. Where's that? I want her back. (laughs) Oh, listen to me, beloved. I get home that night after the conference. It was Thursday night and in the Gallup Church and Man, I, I go to bed, and there she is, man. She's weeping in the bed. So what's wrong with you? She says, we have to go to Chinle. I said, would you shut up? Would you shut up? You're not going to the services tomorrow. You stay away from that little short white guy. No, no white people in our life. What are you going to You haven't even been there. Oh, beloved, I like Jeremiah. Oh, Lord! Oh, Lord! The inadequacies are a real battle that we fight. We say that word a lot. Ah, Lord, I cannot. He says, I am young, and I, what he's really saying is I have a whole other life to live. My whole life is in front of me, Lord. No, oh, Lord, not now. No, no. I begin to consider these words. and Jeremiah is weighing into this because he understands the reality of what he's being challenged to do. You're going to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to flatten the city. You tell them, don't be afraid of them either. I don't want nothing to do with this, man. No, no, I don't want to do this. Knowing the awful responsibility that is attached to the work, the overwhelming circumstances and conditions that men for the nations will encounter. Six months with no house. And I finally found a house with no kitchen or no bathroom. I was a missionary just a hundred miles in. (laughs) Listen to me. Jeremiah's got a human side of him and the human response is very real. He's plagued with fears of what may happen or what may not happen in his life. Call to the nations is very profound and we wave the flag, but... I have to raise my children now in an all-Native American school. 
I have to live amongst them. The fears in Jeremiah's life are plaguing his mind. What if nothing happens? What if I can make nothing work? The fear of our future. What's going to happen if I have to come home? This human response is based on inadequacies and fears. Something lays hold of Jeremiah's life when he cries out, I cannot. That word actually means, I'll ignore it. I spent 10 years in my mother church. It wasn't until I was out many years that I was under the plague of Jeremiah's human response. I would ignore the challenge to go beyond myself. The word means never. I can remember as a very, very effective disciple. I'll never go beyond this. I used to tell everyone that I had the, the gift of helps upon my life. Someone's got to stay. I'm the guy. <laughs> Listen to me. Ignoring the holy calling. Ignoring the purposes of God in my life. Separated for, from my mother's womb for this call. I gave myself to something else. And I have an interesting twist here because I didn't give myself to this world. I gave myself very effectively to other needs in the kingdom of God. And I was effective. Jeremiah, plagued by fear and inadequacy, beginning to ignore the holy call upon his life, the very reason that he was formed, I'll do something else. The bigger curse. Not now. Oh, Lord, not now. Please, not now. Only eternity would tell us what would happen had I not responded then. Nations open and close. He says, I can't speak. This word actually means I can't command. I can't declare. I can't teach. This is too much for me. Causing Jeremiah in his human response to hold on to what he has. You and I have got to be delivered from the insanity of holding on to what we have. I found a little story that so lends to this thought. It's called the pearl necklace. Listen to me carefully. The cheerful girl with bouncy golden curls was almost five. Waiting with her mother at the checkout stand, she saw them. A circle of glistering white pearls in a pink foil box. Oh, please, Mommy, can I have them? Please, Mommy, please. Quickly, the mother checked the back of the little foil box and then looked back into the pleading blue eyes of her little girl's unturned face. A dollar ninety-five, my dear little daughter. 
that's almost two dollars. If you really want them, I'll think of some extra chores for you. And in no time, you can save enough money to buy them for yourself. Your birthday's only a week away, and you might get another crisp dollar bill from Grandma. As soon as Jenny got home, she emptied her little penny bank, and she counted out 17 pennies. After dinner, she did more than her share of chores, and she went to the neighbors and asked Mrs. McJames if she could pick dandelions for 10 cents. And sure enough, her birthday came, and here came Grandma and gave her another brand new dollar bill. And finally, she had enough money to buy the necklace. Jenny loved her pearls. They made her feel dressed up and grown up. She wore them everywhere, to Sunday school, to church service, to kindergarten, even took them to bed. The only time that she took them off was when she went swimming or had a bubble bath. Because mother said when they got wet, they might turn her neck green. <laughs> Jenny, however, had a very loving dad. And every night when she was ready for bed, he would stop whatever he was doing and he'd come upstairs to read her a story. One night when he finished the story, he asked Jenny, Do you really love your dad? Oh, yes, daddy, you know that I love you. And dad looks at his little daughter and says, well, then if you love me, give me your pearls. Oh, daddy, not my pearls. Oh, Lord, not Chinley. You get the picture there. <laughs> you can have princess and the white horse from my special collection. The one pink, well, the one with the pink tail, remember, Dad? That's the one you gave me. She's my favorite. You can have her. That's okay, honey. Daddy loves you. Gives her a kiss goodnight and breasts her cheek with a kiss. The very next night, or rather about a week later after the story time, Jenny's dad asked her again, Do you love me? Daddy, you know that I love you. Well, then give me your pearls. Oh, Daddy, not my pearls. But you can have my baby doll, my brand new one that I got for my birthday. She is so beautiful, and you can have the yellow blanket that matches her sleeper. You can have all that. <laughs> That's okay, Jenny. Sleep well. Daddy loves you. God bless you. And always he brushed his lips across her cheek with a gentle little kiss. A few nights later, her daddy came in, and this particular night, Jenny was sitting on her bed with her legs crossed in an Indian style. As he came close, he noticed her chin was trembling, and one silent tear rolled down her cheek. What is it, Jenny? What's the matter? Jenny didn't say a word, but lifted her little hand up to her dad. And when she opened it, there was her pearl necklace with a little quiver. She finally said, here, Daddy, this is for you. With tears gathering in his own eyes, Jenny's kind dad reached out of one hand to take the dime store necklace. And with the other hand, 
He reached to his pocket and pulled out a blue velvet case with a strand of genuine pearls and gave them to his daughter Jenny. He had them all the time. He was just waiting for her to give up the dime store stuff so he could give her genuine treasure. What are we hanging on to? Our house, our cars, our jobs, men for the nations will be required to abandon the fears and the inadequacies and respond to this holy calling. In 2 Timothy, let me find my place here. In 2 Timothy, we find some powerful revelation. I've jumped ahead of myself just a bit. What God has done in Chinle, Arizona, beloved, in the reservation could never compare to what I was hanging on to. I recently went and preached at the Okalala Sioux Indian Reservation. Forty Navajo, forty Okalala Sioux Indians in our church in Rapid City, South Dakota. The Okalala president looking into our ministry, has given us an entire school compound. Can you please reach our people in Pine Ridge, the worst city in America, ready to sign it off for 30 years if we just take this holy calling to their people? I want to close tonight with the touch of God that's found in our text. And I want to remind you tonight that nations suffer because of the lack of human response. In our text tonight, there's evidence and equipping that comes from a touch of God. And I want you to listen to me very carefully. Jeremiah was 20 years old when this passage was written. And I believe tonight that there were evidences of his calling long before this moment. The call and the forming of his life was established before he was in his mother's womb. Before he was formed in the womb, God's hand was upon him. Before he was even born, this holy calling, he was sanctified and ordained as a prophet to the nations. This concept of God's forming upon a man before he is born has powerful meaning for our lives as ministers. The word here is designed as the squeezing into shape of God's molding power and ability. It is a picture of the potter and the clay and the wheel. As God began to mold Jeremiah's life, even in the early days, even prior to his birth, I believe tonight that he had to see some of the evidences of this calling. I believe that if you and I can lay hold of this, you and I can recognize the hand of our God in our lives as he's being shaped for a man to be a prophet to the nations, 
It is here with simple revelation that you and I can lay hold and be able to embrace in a visual fashion and establish once and for all that we are men that are called. This is a subject of great concern. I went for years, am I called, am I not called? How do I know that I'm called? Well, I believe long before this event in Jeremiah's life, I believe that there was a power of calling that he could clearly see. And I want to share some of those evidences in my own life because I know there's men sitting there tonight, women sitting there tonight, who have felt and will be able to see maybe for the first time the holy calling upon your life that you can embrace it with trust and a surety that this is why you were born. I can remember very young in my life. I was trying to remember if I was eight years old or ten years old. I was just a normal little kid, and I've, I was real little then. I've always been little, but anyway, a little kid. <laughs> and we were watching for the first time it was even black and white. Y'all don't know nothing about a television that's black and white, do you? We were watching Charlton Heston and the Ten Commandments. Oh, beloved, listen to me. I was watching Moses when he was parting the Red Sea. And something got a hold of my eight or ten year old little life. And I began to weep in front of the television. My sisters begin to mock me. Why are you crying? It's a movie. Oh, shut up. And I heard the voice of God listen to me. You're going to deliver my people one day. Eight years old. Ten years old. It doesn't even matter. Young kids don't think that way except there be the forming of God upon a young boy's life before he was even out of his mother's womb. Listen to me. I can remember when I was a mid-teenager. I was already dating Sandra and her since we were in diapers. One day at a marriage banquet, they said, how many of you are high school sweethearts? Heck, Sandra and I were 14-year-old junior high sweethearts. Man, we won all the prizes. <laughs> I can remember sitting Sandra down. She says, you're going to break up with me, aren't you? And I said, I sure am. And she says, you want to do something for God, I can feel it. And I inquired of the priesthood in the peak of my teenage years. I can look back now and see something of the divine touch of God upon my life. I can still remember right after I got saved. See, these are evidences of the holy calling. I can remember when I got saved, I just wanted my marriage healed. I just wanted off drugs. I just wanted a new life. 
I was saved a week, and my first pastor said, do you want to go to a revival? Of course, on the Indian reservation. <laughs> what was I thinking? We went to the Mecca called Tunnel Springs. Some of you know where Tunnel Springs is. And I watched my Native American pastor minister in a very dynamic fashion. And again, I felt God telling me, you're going to do this one day. And I thought that was retarded. I said, oh, Lord, I ain't going to do this. First time I got, I grew up with white people, man. I thought you got meat from Safeway. We butcher, I saw the first sheep get slaughtered. I mean, I was traumatized. I was wearing white pants and a velvet green and yellow bumblebee shirt, okay? I played tennis. I learned from you white folks. Listen. After the service, after we were driving home, listen to me. These are evidences. Because I know there's people sitting out there tonight that can absolutely relate to what I'm saying. And I'm going to tell you why. Because that's the holy call of God upon your life. He said, what do you think? I said, you know what, Pastor? You might think I'm crazy. But I think I can do this. And that night, I wasn't saved a week. I had a dream, man, of hundreds of brown hands <laughs> lifted before God, peppered with a few white hands. I know that's kind of an oxide. How can you say peppered with white hands? You know what I mean. Maybe salted with a few salted hands. But you get the picture. Just a few services ago, man, Chinleys busting out at the seams. Here we are in a 5,600 people town. And I remember telling some of the workers, you better get some, we're going to have a big service today. I feel it in my bones. And yeah, all preachers want that. And we had 300 people in our church. Oh, listen to me, man. When we begin to worship God, I lifted my eyes like that. And there were 580 brown hands up. <laughs> Salted with about six or ten white hands. And God said, herein is your holy calling. Evidences of what I promised you when I called you into this holy calling. Listen to me, beloved. The evidences are real and tangible. Evidences of the hand of God forged in his life. And I declare to you tonight that this is no flame and accident. Let me tell you about my first Prescott conference. Here I am, just a young man. I wanted to go so bad. I stayed in a camper shell that wasn't on a truck. <laughs> so I could go to the conference. I had no money. See, that's proof right there. I'm a Mexican. I had no money. <laughs> Cinco de Mayo. 
<laughs> Listen, I went there broke, and I stayed in a camper. And I can remember taking a bath in an old tub inside an old shack, and I had cold water with a garden hose. And I thought, what am I doing? And that Thursday night, man, the video came on. And I mean, I began to weep. And I began to howl. I mean, there was fluid coming out of every orifice of my face. And when I looked up, there wasn't everybody feeling what I was feeling. There's some of you, you see a world evangelism video, and your heart does leap within you. All of my high school friends were Native Americans. I should have picked this up long ago. I never was a dumb guy. I should have figured this one out long before. <laughs> the evidences of God's forming upon my life. And it dawned on me that I must respond the call of God that is stirring my life tonight, the evidences of the forming power of God. If we understand this tonight, we can take all of those emotions that we call foreign that come and go in our life and lay hold of them as the evidences of God's call. Upon our life. Second Timothy 1.10 says, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and the grace which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Who tonight in this place can sense the stirring of the weeping and the stirring of the Holy Ghost? Who tonight is being moved to tears for the nations of the world? These are evidences of the Holy Calling upon our life. Lastly, the touch of God of equipping. And this is the most important part of this passage of Scripture, which is our text. When the calling of God is upon our life, it really doesn't matter our equipping. It matters our heart and our response. What, what God wants to do in this place tonight is found in verse 9 of our text. Then the Lord put forth His hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have this day set you over the nations and over the kingdoms. You're going to go there and you're going to root some things out. and You're going to pull some things down. You're going to go there and destroy some things and throw down some things. And you're going to go there and you're going to build and you're going to plant. It's been 20 years since I've been in Chinle now. We've torn some things down. That is a picture of 
tearing down principalities and powers, tearing down curses and stereotypes of the Native Americans. You're going to go there under my power. You're going to take away some things and overthrow the forces that have them bound. You're going to destroy some things and throw down some things. You're going to assault the perishing process that's at work in their lives. To destroy and throw down means to loose the bands of wickedness. You're going to go there and create a way of escape. His whole missions rally concept has got to be put in the perspective of entering into these cities and loosening the bands of wickedness and tearing down the ancestral principalities and powers that have these people bound. I'm going to touch your lips and I'm going to put my words in your mouth. This is a touch of God that involves equipping. You're going to go in there and you're going to build up and plant. I'm absolutely awestruck. I have a young man in my church. He's not going to be here tomorrow, so I'll go ahead and talk about him. <laughs> it wasn't too long ago. His wife called me. Ah, this guy is mean. He's so bad he makes medicine sick. <laughs> One day he came to church all cussing up a storm. I said, why are you cussing? I just beat up three MFers right outside the door in a tie, and he's cussing. He stop and I just want to come to church. And I went out there and there's three teenage boys laid out all bloody, just whipped them all to get to church. <laughs> this particular day, he lives in a house with no electricity and no running water. He just slit both of his wrists. And under a flashlight, we're waiting for the ambulance, scrubbing his wrists and his arms down. I was looking at him today when I was leaving. Today he's an usher. He's got another child. He's got his own car. And he said, you know what, Pastor? Thank you for help building my life again. The true treasures. If this man holds his mud, he will be the Navajo version of Roman Gutierrez. He's got that kind of story. The potency of God's holy calling can't even be measured today as we build up men and build up families and give them a way of escape. Right now in Chinle, Arizona, we are the beacon, the lighthouse to the entire community. Hospitals calling us mental health. Pastor Artie, can you counsel these people? We're going to send them to you. <laughs> that don't happen in your city, I promise. They used to think we was crazy. <laughs> Building up and repairing people's lives. That's why we have to respond to the nations of the world. For that reason. Whether our lives laid down or our money. I'm almost done, but think about with me about Mexico.
when our fellowship sent the first man to tear down, to rebuild. And look what God has done today. Think about the Philippine Islands. Hundreds of pastors reaching their own people because of a call to the nations, a holy calling. We could talk about Malaysia, Australia, ah, oh, Africa. I gave serious money to the first missionary into Nairobi. And you see Nairobi today. It's become mission possible. The world awaits this kind of men. Men who like Nehemiah. He was a cupbearer in the king's palace. And he could not do it. He couldn't live that way. All I can think about is the call of God. Let me go back to my homeland, driven by a holy calling. I think about Chinle all the time. Chinle is a unique place because it has no other reason to exist but to reach the na Native Americans of our reservation. Mission possible. The theme tonight is ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. There is no greater possession in life than the unmeasurable impact that one couple can make in light of their holy calling. Some of you have been called before you were in your mother's womb. And I want to know what nation it is, and we're looking for you tonight. I want you to bow your heads. Thanks again for listening to the free version of the VBPH Sermon Podcast, where we post sermons on Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, and Sundays. We also have a premium version of this podcast, which posts sermons and interviews every single day of the week. So why would you want to subscribe? I'm glad you asked. I have five reasons for you. Number one, on the premium version, we post full versions of Testimony Tuesday, Pastor Campbell Thursday, and Study Day Saturday. If you'd like to hear those episodes, then subscribe now. Reason number two, uninterrupted listening. We remove all ads and all extraneous content from our premium feed. Reason number three, premium episodes always release six hours earlier than the free version. If you're an early bird, it's a great reason to subscribe. Number four, our subscribers will gain access to our sermon chat group on WhatsApp where we interact directly with listeners around the globe. If you'd like to chat with other premium subscribers, subscribe today. And finally, every dollar we raise goes to world evangelism. This is the best reason to subscribe because you are helping us launch churches all around the world. We don't put one dime in our pockets. Everything that we raise from this podcast will go directly to Thursday night of Chandler Conference. So please subscribe today by using the links in the show notes below. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening to the sermon podcast of the Virginia Beach Potter's House Church. 
Were you blessed by today's message? Let us know. Please leave us a rating on Apple Podcast or on Podchaser. We'll be back next time with another life-changing word from heaven. God bless.